0: Thank you so much for being here. I don't always say that because uh, you're not here for me. I hope <laughs> because if you are, you, you got that all wrong. Because I'm here for God, and I think that's where we all are today. And, and let's uh, let's look forward to God working in us and in our in our group and working to reach new heights in Jesus. And so I am going to read briefly a list of names in the neighborhood of folks <laughs> we are praying for, and then um, we'll pray to open and jump back into worship. We're praying for Amy and Joseph Horak uh, of 345 Hefner Street, Christopher Simpson of 343 Hefner Street, 341 Hefner Street, Danielle Bressler, Richard and Pamela Mabus of 339 Hefner Street, and Stephen and Joelle Ram of 337 Hefner Street. So if you're kind of putting that, trying to put that in perspective, it starts down here and Hefner and works back this way. Yes, ma'am. Christopher Simpson is also one of
1: our clients of the Light Station. There you go. So we are s-
0: serving him regularly, or as regularly as he needs, uh, up within two weeks. Minimum, they can only order again every two weeks if they need groceries, um, or if they come to the live station, they can come weekly. But um, so we're serving him and praying for him now as a church. Hey. Tyler. Tyler. Thank you. Okay. Good job. Thank you. All right. So, we're going to pray for these in a moment. Do you have another name or a prayer request that you'd like to call off today? Who are you praying for? Back here. Tina's mom, stage four,
1: cancer. Yep.
0: And we started, uh, well, it's been several weeks now, we started praying for Perry. And uh, Perry's looking for a miraculous or medicinal or just however God wants to work it out. Healing will his physical heart. Miss June stayed home today because she had a sore throat this morning. Uh, Caleb?
2: For one of my friends, their mom
0: is sick. Okay. Do you know your friend's name or your mom's name or somebody so we can... Um, My friend's
3: name is, his
0: name is Isaac. Okay, so Isaac's mom who's sick. Okay. RJ? My mom's got a severe rheumatoid arthritis. Okay.
4: And she goes to the doctor in, I think, two weeks to see how her medication that they put her on is working. And if it's not working
0: good, they're talking they might have to do extensive surgery. Severe rheumatoid arthritis. Was it turmeric that helped you? Turmeric with
1: black pepper combined.
0: Tell her about that, because Miss Chris was on a medication for rheumatoid arthritis for years that mostly helped, but nothing has been like taking turmeric with black pepper, and it's a heck of a lot cheaper. If, it, if she's paying some kind of a copay or whatever like that. So her ankles are really bad. Yeah. So and it, it's a common thing, unfortunately, especially. Uh, in the world that we're living in and as people get older, Ricky?
4: My boss has his uh, surgery to get the tumor
0: out on Monday. Okay. What's your boss's first name? Joe or Randy. Joe. Joe's by both. Chris. Linda Bowen and her daughter. I can't think of her daughter's first name, but it's Bowen too. Okay. Um,
1: Linda has... um, Angelina. Angelina, there it is. Thank you. Linda has a, um, basically, you know how you get cold sores on your lips? Mm-hmm. She has it in her eye oh, my. and um, she's taking all kinds of medication. If it doesn't clear up soon, they're gonna have to um, do surgery on her cornea. And then Angelina has a, um, just had a biopsy just to speak for nodule on her thyroid. They're trying to figure
0: out if it's
5: cancer. Yeah. That's
0: Linda and Angela, that's the Bowlands, Yeah. Both of them. Okay. So, and Angela. We
2: Okay.
0: All right. Hmm. Did I get them all? I think I got them all. Over here.
2: Just pray for our
0: marriage. The Tate family marriage and, and just God's working in the home. Okay. What else? Okay, well, let's pray together. Uh, we've already called off these names, and I'll, I'll begin my prayer just so we don't forget, or so I don't forget, since I'm kind of leading us, but we're all praying together. Remember, when somebody stands up in front of you and lead, leads in prayer, they are not praying for you. They're not praying in your place. This is us unified. If I pray something that you would not pray, then you don't pray that. You pray whatever God would have you to pray. But this is us in unity praying together. Yes, ma'am.
1: I have a praise real quick. Okay, yeah, let's hear it. Mr. Caleb stood up in his classroom and defended the Bible, and I just want to praise the Lord for that. Amen.
0: That is awesome. And also very needed. Good word. Good job, Caleb.
2: Yeah.
0: All right. So, here we go. Father in heaven, we know that you are an awesome and powerful God, able to do more than all we could think or ask. We want to sometimes, I think, keep you on a leash because we don't want to ask for things that we think are too big. We don't want to ask for things that we think are selfish. We don't want to ask for things that we think won't come true because then when we think they don't come true, then we think that will be a, a stumbling block or a weakness for us. But We call out these requests today, Lord, because we know that you are fully able and that you love your people that you're gracious toward us. We've already seen so many miraculous inventions, interventions over the years that it would be foolish of us not to look to you to miraculously intervene on behalf of your people. We know you favor us and desire to hear every prayer from us and to fulfill what we agree in unity uh, to ask you. Father, we do ask this for the neighborhood, um, that you would help us to tell everyone in our neighborhood about your light. Scripture says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. And Lord, we would be foolish to say that we are born again and not be willing to share your light. And so we're praying that we would be unleashed, that we would be on fire, that we would be hopeful, and I want to say dogmatic, that we would push hard Diligent, work hard, give up things if necessary to reveal that light that is in us that is Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we pray for these names that have been called off today. We have to praise you for people like Caleb who are willing to stand up and speak out for you. People are willing to set aside their own personal agenda and do what it is that you would have them to do. We pray that that's exactly what went on there. pray that someone's heart was touched. And that through that event, you were glorified, continue to be glorified today. Father, we pray for these who were called off, for Joe, for Tina's mom, for Isaac's mom, um, for Linda and Angelina, uh, for RJ's mom, for Perry Graves, Lord, for his heart specifically, but all things that are going on inside of him. For the, the Tate marriage, a household, it would be a godly place. Lord, let there be any uh, who were called off. In this place, we know you heard it, and you can take this prayer and you can empower it, and you can change lives and change situations and overcome and conquer the enemy. And we know our enemies are everything from demons and evil spirits to flesh to worldly teaching and nature and the system. But also, Lord, we, we are our own worst enemies at times as we have failed ourselves in keeping up our health or in making choices that honor you. We've failed ourselves in putting you first in all things. And so we confess to you our need for forgiveness, we thank you for it, we ask you for it again today, and then we ask you to lift us up to new heights in Jesus today, as that's who we are. And we praise you for it, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thinking about how this, the interesting thing about spiritual disciplines is, each one of the spiritual disciplines has a way of being used for stewardship. So, for example, if you own a Bible and you leave it sit on your on the shelf and you never read that Bible or you never study it like you mm-hmm. go online or study on your phone or things like that, you never intake the Bible, then that is bad stewardship of the Word of God. Thank you for your right? stimulating company. Have to pause that. Thank you. All right. And uh, so that's an example. So real quick, then, one of the spiritual disciplines is worship and we've been worshiping. All right. So as a group, not me explaining it, but as a group, we're talking just real briefly about how can we be good stewards of worship. So you're given an opportunity on Sunday morning specifically to come together as a congregation. We all come together and worship together. You worship 24 hours a day or whenever you're awake. Right. You can worship all the time. And you should declare God's worth through everything you do. In fact, good stewardship does that. It declares God's worth in everything that you do. But here, when we gather together as stewards of this worship time, what is an example of something that we can do that would be us using this time correctly? Being a good steward of it. Miss Chris?
1: Participating in the songs.
0: All right, so participating. You're singing. You're focused on the words. You're clapping. You're standing. Whatever, right? You're, do, you're involved in what's going on in the worship. That's a good example of being a good steward of the songs, Okay? Jason? Um, to, to in the
3: moment.
0: Yes, so participating in the inspirational moment. That is an act of worship. That's why we do that because we realize God is at work all week long and if you've been worshiping God all week and you've been a good steward of His words, you're reading His word like that, there really probably ought to pretty much always be something that you can share, right? You don't have to, to share if the Lord leads you to it like that, but participating and certainly listening and digesting what other people say. So when somebody says, I feel like God's saying this or God did this or I saw this, you digest that, you take it into yourself and decide what you're supposed to do about it, right? Maybe it reminds you of something God said to you on Tuesday or maybe it reminds you of a verse you read or maybe it reminds you of an activity you're supposed to be engaged in, right? Good example, any others? How about showing up? Actually coming, right? Because I, you know, I know that some folks can, some folks can't, and, and situations do arise and like that. But whenever possible, this is our one, everybody gathered worship time. It's on the first day of the week because that's not only the day they discovered and resurrected, but because it's the first day of the week, which makes the rest of the week in proper perspective. God first, right? It's God first in everything. Then on Sunday morning, you get together with the believers. Now, we, we could realistically realistically do it at 12, oh, 12.01 a.m., right? The very first thing on Sunday. But that would not be convenient, <laughs> to say the least. Um, but especially to get everybody. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much falling asleep by 12.01 a.m. pretty much every day. I'm really, really kind of uh, cohesive at that time or coherent. But the bottom line is, it's first thing Sunday morning, we come together we, and we spend this day recognizing God is showing up. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves. Even, and all the more than you see the day approaching, right? All right, what else? It's Chris again. When
1: it's time to pay the tithe, pay the
0: tithe. Yep, the tithe and offering is part of the worship. In fact, the tithe is a little less worship and a little more justice. And the offering is a little more worship and a little less justice. Right, but both of them are acts of worship. Um, we, we're really sort of taking, stealing. The Bible calls it in Malachi three stealing. If you're taking the tithes and not giving the tithes the way you are supposed to, and then o- offering is like praise. Like so, so you see somebody do something good, then you praise them for what they did. Right. Well, God's the same way. We give that offering to God. and That's the way of saying, God, we really cherish you. We really love you. Get it? So every Sunday is God, is Jesus's rebirth day, if you will. It's the day we celebrate Him back to life. And every Sunday we give God birthday presents. No, not really like that, but that's the idea. We honor Him with our, with our finances. And not just that. Right. There's offerings that are a lot of other things other than money. You give God a Wednesday night time that you study your Bible. That is an offering. You serve in ministry 10 hours a week or whatever. You, you clean, you mow, you fix things, you t- talk to people about Jesus, you serve in your family. Those are all can be, if your heart is in the right place, they can be offerings to God. What people so often do is they start doing those things and they go, well, I have to. They get disgruntled or complained or whatever rather than doing them as an offering to God. And then you miss the blessing. You totally miss the blessing of worshiping God that way. And we want to do that. So okay, do we have another hand? Jason, did you have something else you wanted to add? Okay. Anybody else? Oh uh,
2: let God activate us and empower us through the yes. through the word. You know, not just today but throughout the week. So.
0: Amen. That's good. That's a good call. So if you come together and worship. The whole point of that is we're we're praising God and entreating God to act in us. And so if we come closed off, if you come you're just going through the motions, just doing what you think you gotta do, just showing up. You know, this is my scheduled time to be there, or this is what people expect of me, or this is what I want people to see, so then they'll people will think certain things of me or whatever. Whatever barrier there is between you and letting God work in you, you're really sort of wasting your worship. Because your worship is about a relationship with God, and that shouldn't be one side, it shouldn't just be praising him from afar. If you if you have a family member who lives out of state and you call them once a year and say, hey, I love you, and you spend 10 minutes telling them how awesome they are, or whatever, but the rest of the time you're just blowing them off. They're not going to feel valued, you know, and we all said that, seven days a week, right? That's why we continue. What we do here continues throughout the week, and we have a couple of extra special blessings So you can always go back and watch it on video. You can always go back and listen to the entire service right now on the podcast, and there's hundreds of podcasts of back services and stuff, so lots of opportunities throughout the week. Being activated allowing God to work in us during worship.
1: Um, being patient and encouraging
2: others through
0: corruption. Yeah, so we have to work together. Sometimes you think people are just ignorant or people are just being mean or whatever like that and realize people come from different places and so they're going through different things. give a lot of grace, be gentle with others. And the truth is if you really had to, if you really wanted to, you could sit here, and the building could be burning down around you, and everybody could be throwing a hissy fit about what to do about the fact that the building is burning, and you could stand there in complete silence, except for your singing, and, and put your hands up, and face God, and you and God could have a time to worship while the whole world is just crumbling around you. You could do that. If you can't do that, that isn't because of somebody else, and it isn't a failing on God's part, because God is totally in. He's 100% in anytime anybody wants to worship Him. So, be aware that, like, blaming failures or getting upset with somebody else, that's not good stewardship of worship. It is not about that. Because I do it all the time and I and I I have a lot of things going on so i making sure it's coming up on the Facebook and getting the podcast recording, stuff like that. But I'll go into worship and I'll totally forget that y'all are here. It happens almost every Sunday. And so that's why like if I sing you hear me make a mistake or I don't sound good or whatever, I don't really care. Because I'm worshiping God, and it's just this, me and God doing our thing. That's a good word. Okay, there are other examples. I want to show you one thing real quick. This, this is leftover from our worship spiritual discipline. So we'll see if you remember this, okay? So you're praising God, and the Bible says you praise. It doesn't say you have to do every time, right? Because that would be mechanical. The Bible encourage, encourages us to praise with hands upraised. So people are not just being goofy, they're not pretending to feel the Holy Spirit or trying to be super holy when they put their hands up. There are biblical commands to praise with hands up raised. Okay, and so if I've, and I'm going to give you two examples and then we'll stop, and we'll, we'll let anybody who brought an inspirational moment speak. Okay, so the first one: if I'm praising with hands up raised and my hands are like this, what am I saying to God? This is not the international symbol for surrender. You know, people do use it for that, but that's not what this is. So what does this say to God if my hands are like this? It to God. Um, kind of. God. Say that again?
1: Praising towards God.
0: Praising towards God. Right? So this is me recognizing, honoring God, telling God he is great above all things. And so in a sense, it's like surrender, but basically it's a total recognition of, a, of God's glory. If I'm praising with hands like this, what does this mean? I'm open to God. Oh, open, what would you say? Somebody else say something as well? Okay, so open to God, right? It's basically entreating God for help or pour into me. God, I feel empty. I feel weak to do this. I feel like I need you or I feel like I'm trying to be open to God to work in me, right? And both of those things are commanded by two different Hebrew words in which the Bible, in which you're told to, pray, to worship God with hands upraised. So it's worship God with hands upraised this way. Praise God. He is God above all things. Complete honor to God. Worship God with hands this way. God, I'm open. I need help. I'm asking you to fill me again today. Heal me. Cleanse me. That kind of thing. So when you see people like never praise, never raise their hands to God, if you don't feel like you should do that, don't do it. You don't have to do it. You know? Or if you feel so physically, fiz- be careful of this, but if you feel so <laughs> bodily or psychologically inhibited that you feel like, well, I could never do that because people will look at me or whatever like that, then you might want to ask yourself, how can that be when actually your worship is just between you and God? So if this is, this is me talking to God, then why should anyone care about that what I'm doing with my hands? Nobody else has any say over what I'm doing with my hands. Right? And if this, this or this, if people see I need help, maybe somebody will pray. If you need somebody to pray with their hands like this, you pray for them. God fill them up. Help them. Right? Okay. All right. So now, who's been listening to God this last seven days and maybe have has something to share? I see hands all over. Well, it's Miss Cool, but right across the back. Miss Fresh sure. Okay.
1: Okay, yeah, ask a question. Got yeah, me and Aaron. What's the differences between us?
4: One male and female. You're a female.
1: Girl. One Okay, that's one. What else? Male
4: and female. Male and female. What else? He's, he's, he's shorter. Short.
1: Yeah, he's probably taller than me. What else? Age. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Anybody else? Mine <laughs> <laughs> What about our hair color? <laughs> Is yeah. yeah, I'm a little bigger than he is, right? <laughs> Alright. So in Genesis, it says, then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. What do you think he meant?
3: Do you think he meant our bodily images? Nope. No. What do you mean? Jason. You meant your spiritly images.
1: Right. So even everyone in here, nobody looks the same, does it? Nope. In the inside, we're supposed to be the same though, right? So even though all this stuff is going out in the world today, right, we don't need to be paying attention to that. We don't need to be paying attention to whether or not I'm skinny or thin or fat or or, uh, whatever, skin color, eye color, hair color, none of that matters. If you're so focused on the outside, you turn your outside into an idol. Woo. Which puts you against God. That's right. So you need to be looking on the inside and your spiritual, Amen. not the outside. And you don't look at other people's spiritual because that's between them and God. That's not good. You.
0: Hey, praise so. the Lord. All right, we'll give God glory for that. Okay, Jason, you're up. Um
3: Recently, just yesterday, I watched a show and there were, it was called, We Can Be Heroes, and this you, Grandpa, you kind of so some this a long time ago, but what I wanted to point out is that even though Missy, the main character in the show, doesn't have any powers, she still finds a way to do things that she didn't think she could do. She called on God to help her through those hard times. Like how she found out how she was gonna help lead the team. And she called on God to help her with that. She didn't call on anybody else like her dad or someone. She called on God. God, was called onto her and helped lot
0: of times. If you think you have no value, if you think you have no gifts, you are just absolutely wrong. You have supreme value, so much so that if you were the only person on the earth and sinning actively against God, Jesus still would have died for you. You have ultimate value, and your gifts are amazingly beneficial to King of the Alright, I guess RJ, I think you have a video of that Can you hit that light.
4: Real quick before this, I find a lot of inspiration in music, and I find it in all different kinds of music—rap, uh, rock, hip hop, country. It doesn't really matter. I find inspiration in all kinds of music. Um, I'm not musically talented. I can't play instruments. I don't. I don't think I can sing very well, but I like music and I listen to a lot of music. And. And that's one of my favorites because he, a lot of what he writes is based on real situations and like real experiences that he's faced that others have also faced as well. The one I did last week was one of my, between this one and the one I did last week or I can't decide which one I like more. because they both have a lot of very, it's a very powerful meaning, and there's a lot of very good inspiration in the songs. Like, for instance, the one I did last week was letting you know that, you know, just because you're struggling, you're not the only one out there. There's others out there that are struggling just like you. Oh,
6: yeah, she'll probably get that See the mute. Watching the world go round World go, yeah, world go around. Listening to unfamiliar feelings and unknown sounds Even. They look different, don't they? Well, at least that's how they seem to me Cause we just drifting, drifting, driftin', driftin', driftin Till we see something that we define as peaceful Grab the needle, shoot
2: reminders in my
6: face and people leave you while I'm drifting. Watching the world go round World go, yeah,
2: Listening To unfamiliar feelings and unknown sounds
6: such a gossip, I've been watching you. How you're talking to yourself is rude. Drifting, I'm in the same boat as you. Sinking, dreaming, screaming for some truth. And my, my, the Escalators broke, I'll take the stairs, I guess. Climbing till I'm out of breath. Rushing in my every step. Oh my train of thought is getting me to different tracks. Positive that when I'm at is not what I should stay in that one. Why I'm so distant, I'm committed, I'm that I predicted all my wishes, all my wishes won't be hurt. Cause I'm committed to the light
2: and feeling safe It's unrealistic when I'm drifting
6: Watching the world go round World go, yeah, Listening to
2: unfamiliar feelings and unknown sounds
4: say I love you, Convincing. convince yourself that no one in the world ever wants to. So the biggest thing about this whole song is how you see yourself. So when you put yourself down and you tell yourself that you're not good enough, that's how you're going to perceive yourself. And, when you get in that spot, you start drifting from what really matters. That's when it gets really hard to keep yourself positive, to look up and I guess, like I said, I guess keep yourself positive and keep yourself motivated to do things. So everyone gets to that point in their life where they they drift away from their belief, they start questioning everything and when you get to that point you have to find a way to get back to where you were. And then the ending of the song is my favorite part because he cries out, show me I'm worth it. So you have to, it's like you have to get to your lowest point to be able to realize how to get back up again. Even though with God on our side, no matter how bad your day is, you have the strength to get back up. You have the Holy Spirit inside you to tell you that you can go forward, you can move on. It's just, there's so much negativity in the world that it's hard to do that. And it's hard to see ourselves as a better person because the world don't see us that
0: way. And the last three words. Can't remain afraid. Alright, we're going to pray at this time and then we're going to uh, jump back into worship and honor God. Uh, Brother Tony Brister, our deacon, would you pray for us as we transition to ties and offerings and a little more worship?
5: Father, Lord, thank you for uh, thank you for another day. You us. Thank you for bringing us here, to this place that you've given us. Also, just ask the Lord to be with us through the service, be with our teachers as they teach, be the with our pastor as He brings forth the Word, and that might uh, that we would listen, that we would put away the distractions, put away the things that. Will hinder us from hearing what you have to speak to us today through our pastor uh, thank you for these words of encouragement, of inspiration thank you for music that that uh gets us going that, that we can clap our hands that we can uh get to the beat and uh lord just uh thank you for these artists that that, that bring forth the word through, through song uh, again lord we thank you for bringing us together to be with us today we have our tithes and offerings as we as we give them, as we take them up, and the uh, Lord help us as a church use them as good stewards
0: So Bible scholars, if you haven't already looked up the text, somebody tell me what story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Does somebody know? It's a classic. Say it again. Nope, Gideon's in Judges. So 1 Samuel, is the, the Samuel books come before the king's books. So when you get into Samuel, Samuel was a high priest. And he kind of was present at the beginning of the kingdom and the first king who was, the first king of the kingdom of Israel was Saul. I heard somebody say softly. Yep. And since Saul, you know, he had his issues. Some of them came from God because Saul was disobedient and, and God actually declared through Samuel that Saul would be removed from being the king. He would no longer be able to be the king and God would choose someone else. And then... There was this incident of a young man who was faced with an incredible challenge. Anybody getting the hang of it now? 1 Samuel 17? David and, Goliath. David and Goliath. That's right. So the story of David and Goliath is in 1 Samuel 17. And it is largely from the beginning to the end of the chapter. And beautifully done, it is, there's not a lot of confusion in it. There are a lot, not a lot of uh, phrases that you might understand, not understand or words that you would understand or anything like that. Uh, there are some people groups and some historic events, and we don't need them necessarily for today to understand what I think God is trying to show us. Um, so we got two things to take care of first. So first of all, if you people, you've heard of David, right, and you've heard of Goliath, so you probably kind of know the story just a little bit. Most everybody, I would assume, is there someone in the room who would want to give us an oversight, just a real quick one sentence lesson that we learn from. David and Goliath. From the story of David and Goliath. Can do big things too. <laughs> that's what we learned from Veggie Tales about David and Goliath. Little, yes, a little little thing little people can do big things too. Yes, okay. So that's Veggie Tales on David and Goliath. Alright, how about not Veggie Tales on David and Goliath? Yes.
5: Everything is
3: possible to God. Nothing,
0: the things that seem impossible to us are, are nothing to God. Pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yep, I like it. Anybody want to add anything to that? Alright, so we'll take that one, stick it in our tool belt for a minute. Uh, when you think things are not possible with God, that's a mistake. Everything is possible with God. Alright, so I want to share with you, you may or may not realize this, but uh, I like to write. I have for years. In fact, since I, was, I wrote my first uh, full-length novel when I was in fifth grade, Uh, Which is still tucked away in a box somewhere gathering no dust because it's in the box, but it's got a layer of dust on it, I'm sure. Um, But then since then, I've done a bit of writing. One of the lessons that I learned in writing fiction is that if at any point in time in the story, you cannot figure out why someone would do something, you can always introduce a new character. So you can bring a new character in as long as you make them colorful and believable and fit in the context, whatever, and have that person suggest it, have them ask a question, have them tie into the story somewhere like that. So you can always introduce a new character in the story. I want you to bear that in mind then as we look at this text. In fact, I would, I would even say maybe put this question in your head. Who is the new character in the story? Okay? Okay. All right, so grab your Bibles if you would. We usually hoot, holler, amen, give a loud hiccup, something as 1 Samuel chapter 17 is our text for the day. Amen. All right, thank you very much. I'm a little excited because I don't know in all the time that I have, um, have been preaching that I have ever preached the story of, Sam, uh, of David and Goliath. So here goes. Uh, chapter 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines, that was the people that lived near the Israelites, and basically they had coastal towns. They had arrived at some point. They were not originally in the land. They had arrived at some point later and set up these coastal towns, and they became a real thorn to the Israelites. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Socah, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Socah and Ezekiah in Ephes-damim. Now this, this, you don't have to know all those words, even be able to pronounce them, it's fine. But what you do need to know is they're about 15 miles from Bethlehem. Now, that might mean something to you. Bethlehem means kind of like house of bread. You may recognize Bethlehem as, the, Bethlehem as the place where Jesus will eventually be born. David was born in Bethlehem. So this is David's, they're 15 miles from David's hometown. That's really all you have to know there. Uh, verse 2. And Saul, the men of Israel, were gathered, and they camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle, array to encounter the Philistines. So all the army of Saul, who is the king of Israel, and all the men are gathered there, ready for battle. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Strategically, those are positions of importance because if you just charge over there and attack the Philistines while they're on the mountains, you're charging, attacking uphill And basically, casualties are usually 50% higher when you're attacking uphill, especially when combat's going to be melee. If you're fire from range, maybe not as much. But if you're going to fight them with swords or spears, you're charging uphill at them. They're going to decimate you, and vice versa. So both armies are in a good position to defend. Neither army is in a good position uh, to attack the other army. Okay. So the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side. With the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the army of the Philistines named Goliath. Now, before this, we have never really heard of Goliath, so you could say he is the new character, maybe. So the champion comes out for the Philistines named Goliath from Gath. Goliath was from Gath. He, his height was six cubits and a span. Okay, so a cubit is the distance from your, and it's a general term, it's from the distance from your elbow to the tip of your finger, and it's roughly 18 inches. And it varies per person, obviously, short people, a little less, long people. Some people are short and have long arms, you know, that kind of thing. Depends on whether you're built like a human or a gorilla or whatever. But the bottom line, it's going to be somewhere between about 16 and 20 inches, right? You can actually use that when you're, like, trying to cut a board. You go, oh, that's 18 inches. Oh, cut this 18 inches. And you don't have to get your tape measure out, that kind of thing. And that's how they used to measure things back in the day. And then a span was like this is a span. So this guy is 9 foot maybe Six inches tall, Depends on whether it was his span would have been quite quite a bit, but I'm sure they were talking about a common man's span. Okay. Then a champion came out from the armies, the Philistines, named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, and he had a bronze helmet on his head. Notice he has a helmet. And he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze, meaning his armor weighed about 125 pounds. His armor weighed about 125 pounds. I, I'm guessing David probably weighed about 125 pounds, maybe less but his armor weighed as much as a a teenage boy. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. He's got a javelin on his back. He's got protection on his legs. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. That means it was a big, thunky piece of wood. And the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. That means it was heavy. (laughs) His shield carrier also walked before him. Notice he had a shield carrier. Okay, And if you're in battle and you're the only guy over nine feet, guess where all the arrows land? So they give him a shield bearer to protect him. So he doesn't have to do that work himself, but together with his own shield, he could certainly protect himself very well. He had a shield carrier who also walked before him. And he stood and shouted at, to the ranks of Israel and said to them, why do you come out to draw up in battle array? I am not the Philistine. I'm sorry, am I not the Philistine? And, your, and you servants of Saul. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. So basically, it's going to be a champion battle. Both armies would suffer heavy losses if they attacked because of the positioning, but unless both armies come down to the middle and fight, which then it would be kind of even ground, why would you do that, that kind of thing? Um, but anyway, if, if somebody defeats Goliath, then supposedly the army of the Philistines will surrender and they'll become slaves and vice versa. Again, the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we, might, we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So they knew if they sent one person out, who in Israel is going to stand up against a guy like that? I mean, he's a big guy. And still, even if you could find somebody who was maybe his equal, Battle is always tricky. It's always a question. Do you really want to be slaves to an enemy army for the rest of your life? So there's a lot at risk. So even if you could theoretically fight and beat the guy, what if you don't? Right? Verse 12. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse. So that was Jesse's dad. Or that was David's dad, Jesse. And he had eight sons. And Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. And the three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the second him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. And David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flocks at Bethlehem. Now you say, well, why was David going back and forth from Saul? It's a mistake to think that David is coming to Saul for the first time because there's history between these two. Saul's already heard that he's going to be deposed as king of Israel. And God has sent, and this is a tough thing to say, but it's in in scripture, so it is what it is. God has sent an evil spirit to plague Saul. And Saul finds comfort in just one way from this evil spirit. Does anybody know what it was? David playing music. David playing music. So David comes, plays music for Saul. Saul goes, Oh, I feel better. So now, he has David come on a regular basis and play music to calm his, this evil spirit that's affecting him, all right? So he, David is not coming from home and occasionally going to see Saul. He's staying with Saul and going home to take care of the sheep. Now, he's taking care of the sheep. It's not like he's there for a few minutes, right? It's days. But the point is, he's serving with Saul and he's going home on a semi-regular basis. So now, wait, doesn't that mean David is not a new character to Saul, right? In fact, when David first went there, Jesse sent a letter and, there, and some uh, provisions and stuff like that. And so his family should not be unknown to Saul. You follow? All right, so we're going to go on a little further. So uh, 14 said, and David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem, 15 miles away. And the Philistines came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. So for 40 days, Goliath comes out and challenges God and challenges God's people. And so, but after 40 days, you're starting to think, you know, there might even be a point in time which they really no longer have to honor the challenge. They can try to sneak up on him or something and ignore the challenge completely. But for 40 days in a row, every day, he comes out and challenges them, find somebody, find somebody anywhere in your nation, any Israelite who will come and fight me, anybody will do. We'll wait, send a train, send a carriage, bring somebody from far away, 100 miles away, Whatever. anybody you can find anywhere in your nation, pay them anything you want, and if they can beat me, we'll surrender, and if they can't, then you'll surrender. And So this is a huge challenge issued 40 days in a row. Then 17 says, then Jesse said to David his son, take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves and run to the camp to your brothers. So he didn't send him to Saul, he sent him to the camp. So we have this misunderstanding that, again, David didn't know what was going on. A lot of writers will say that and say they didn't, David wanted to go there to hear for the first time what was going on at the battle because they've been there for over a month and nothing's happened yet. And so David was curious, or David wanted to see the fight, or whatever. But David was going back and forth from Saul, so david these things had not escaped David's notice. He had some understanding, right? But he hadn't been on the front lines, so we don't know if he's actually heard Goliath's challenge or not. Probably not, but he had been in Saul's tents, all right? And then it says this, 18. Bring also these ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand, so their officer, right? And look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news of them. So he was supposed to bring back intelligence of how his brothers were doing. For Saul and they and all the men of Israel are in the Valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Verse 20. So in other words, he the, notice that Jesse was thinking his sons were already engaged in battle. He was thinking they should already be fighting by now, right? Verse 20. So David arose early in the morning, left the flock with the keeper, took the supplies, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. So they're going out. We're going to fight today, maybe. it been 40 days, but maybe we'll fight today. But they're going out shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. And David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line. So he runs out to the actual front now. So now he's going to see it firsthand and entered in order to greet his brothers. And he was talking with them. Behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. So he makes the same challenge. Any man who will come out, anybody who will come out and fight me. When all the men of Israel saw the the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. So they fall back, they're running back. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So they they know what's at stake, that they can be blessed and be wealthy and be provided for and everything like that if they will kill this guy Goliath. But they're terrified to do so. Verse 26, David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel. Now, it sounds like he's asking the question that was just answered, right? But, but what, you have to, what he's actually doing is he's encouraging them to take to heart what's actually being said. So when he says, well, what have we done? Think about it. Think about what you will get. Think about what your family will get. So he's trying to encourage them by thinking about what's being offered for them to actually step up and do something. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should taunt the armies of the living God. And the people answered him in accord with this word, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. In other words, we know what will be done. Somebody's going, to do, somebody's going to kill him. and Whoever kills him, so they're going to get a lot of goods, but it ain't going to be me. Verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? In other words, you're derelict in your duty. I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. He accuses David of being a bad man and having a bad heart and is disrespectful of authority and of the way things work. For you have come down in order to see the battle. In other words, he's playing hooky from doing his job and he's stirring up trouble. All he's doing is trying to cause trouble. You're not doing what's right here. You're not here trying trying to do something good. You're just doing what's bad. That's what he accuses David of. Verse 29. But David said, what have I done now? Which that question shows you that they've had run-ins before. This is the oldest son of Jesse. And the oldest son of Jesse has thought ill of David in the past. And he says, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. And the people answered the same thing as before. So everyone's saying, not me, somebody else do it. Not me, somebody's going to be blessed, but not me, somebody else do it. Then 31, when the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul and he sent to him. So Saul sends for David. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. So the first thing he says is, I'll go, I will go, and I will fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tendering his his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flocks. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. So he's talking about courageous past acts and God favor him. He says, Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. So David's just basically saying, I- I'm going to do this. God has already seen me through a lion and a bear and all that. Now I'm going to do this. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go. And may the Lord be with you. See, Saul sees two things in David that authorize David to do this thing. One of them is faith. He believes in God. He believes God's going to do something. And the other one, we already know, is courage. He's willing. Where everybody else is terrified, he's willing to go. Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his garments, put a bronze helmet on his head. Now David's got a helmet. And he clothed him with armor. Now David's got armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I can't go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off, and he took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Then the Philistines came on and approached David with the shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistines looked and saw David, notice the shield-bearer in front of him. That's going to be a problem for his sling, isn't it? When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. He looked down on and thought he was nothing. For he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. That's an interesting task considering he's got a stick and a sling. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day, the birds of the sky and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. So he's not just going, he's going quickly. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and and slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword, and drew it out of his sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that, there were, that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as... The, now, technically, that means they, they didn't honor their agreement because they didn't submit and become slaves, right? But they run. And then because they run, now they are fit for the feast, as it were. And the, sl- the slain Philistines lay along the way to Shireim, even to Gath and Ekron. And the sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. Then David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his weapons... In his tent, So he put Goliath's weapons in David's, back in David's tent. The head was taken to Jerusalem. Notice that at this time, the Israelites do not rule Jerusalem. There were some Israelites probably living there, but they don't own it yet. David will take it when David is king. So he took that head and displayed it before all people. Not amongst the Israelites, but he took it out and displayed it before all people. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, we're almost done, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? Now remember, Jesse sent David to deal with the evil spirit. David has been playing the harp in, front of, in, in Saul's presence to overcome the evil spirit. Jesse sent provisions, he sent a letter, and he sent his own son. And now Saul says, who is it? Who is this guy? Whose father is this? Whose son is this young man? And Abner said, by your life, O oh king, I do not know. The, the chief general, head of security for the king, says, I don't know who he is. I don't know who his dad is. He plays the harp to to quell the evil spirit, but I have no clue who he is. He says, And the king said, You inquire whose son the youth is. So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. So David walks up in front of Saul. He's got got Goliath's head hanging in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. So remember the question. Who's the new character in the story? Okay, the first thing I want you to see in here is that this story is really about encouraging grasshoppers. Like, where are the grasshoppers in the story? Okay, in Numbers 13, when the spies go into the land and they look at all the land and they're thinking about it, right? Ten of them are f- afraid of what they see and they become, it says, they become like grasshoppers and they lie. And they tell how big the people are and how dangerous it looks and there's no way that we can conquer the land. Now Joshua and Caleb, they tell the truth. They say, well, it looks tough, but we can do it. God will do it. But those ten men, it says that they became like grasshoppers. And I submit to you that here in 1 Samuel 17, the Israelites have become like grasshoppers in their own sight again. They look at Goliath and they say, okay, if Goliath is nine foot plus and I am barely six foot, and Goliath has been a warrior since his youth, and he's got. To, if he swings that spear at me one time, and I parry it, he's going to knock my weapon out of my hand. I am not strong enough to take on this Goliath. And so they have become grasshoppers in their own eyes. David comes as an encourager. And he says, but what will the king do? Come on, think about it. What is at stake here? And also, this Philistine, he's been dishonoring God and speaking out against You know God is going to do Look at how many times in the past God has stood up for his people so many times. God even <coughs> destroyed armies so that we could take the land. Now, you're saying God is not going to do anything here. So, so I submit to you. They have become grasshoppers in their own eyes, and David has come to encourage them. Now, is David successful in encouraging them? Yes, much to the detriment of Goliath, right? He encourages them by slaying Goliath himself. That's through God, of course. God takes care of it, but the bottom line is he he slings the stone that kills Goliath. That encourages them, and they chase the Philistine army across the land, leaving littered Philistine bodies everywhere they go. This story is really about encouraging grasshoppers. Now, I have a problem with that. My problem is this, that on occasion I am as a grasshopper in my own eyes. And I wonder if maybe that's not a state that people find themselves in. You face a big problem. You face some big difficulty. You're dealing with something with your health or with relationships or finances or jobs or or an evil spirit. or a plot of the world that makes you feel small or that that pushes others to look at you and say, see, you're doing it for the wrong motivations. And they accuse you and tell you that you are not gracious, you are not kind, you're not smart, you're not capable. And you begin to maybe think that they're right. Because if there's so many people who think that, Christians don't have it right. There so many people that think that the church is not right. or so many people that think that you can't do what it is that you're called to do in Christ. Maybe they're right and you can't. Sometimes I think we see ourselves as grasshoppers. But this story teaches us exactly what you need to know to never see yourself as a grasshopper again. And it isn't anything about you at all. That's what's amazing. Maybe there's a little bit about what we should do, what we should do in a conclusion. But in the story, what you see is the truth. It says, number one, God can do it. For 40 days, God could have struck down that champion, Goliath. Any man in Saul's army who would have went out and said, in honor of God, in courage, and just believing in God, could have gone out and killed that champion. Because God can do it. God is not limited. This is the God that created the universe. God can turn back whatever it is that ails you. God can overcome whatever it is that stands up against you. God can do it. And when you start to think God can't do it, That's when you start to see yourself as a grasshopper in your own eyes. Because if it's God in you, then God can do it, then that settles it. But it goes a little further, doesn't it? God can do it through those who trust him. That's probably more our problem. The fact that we don't want to trust God as we face this difficulty, whatever it is. We don't want to say, okay, I believe that God can do it and he can do it through me and I'm just going to pile myself in and, and give it a shot and see what happens. We don't want to do that because we're afraid of the losses that we may take. Let me encourage you, Christian, follower of the Lord, believer, you better be ready to take some losses. In fact, what you probably ought to do right now in your own heart, in your own mind, is decide that as bad as it ever gets and the worst losses you could ever take, that you're ready to take those losses, assuming the Lord will be in you, assuming He will do it through you, assuming He will comfort you and strengthen you and allow you to do so, by His grace, that you're ready to take those losses so that God can do through you whatever it is that He's doing. And that's the rub. Because Christians don't want to let God do it through them. We don't want to put ourselves in the position of being embarrassed or looking weak or running out of money maybe because it's about... Giving or running out of time maybe because it's about shutting off the TV and investing your time to do whatever. We don't want to risk giving up what it is that we have latched onto or what has become a leech in our lives because we're perfectly comfortable where we are. But God can do this, whatever this is, through those who trust him. And that's the message that David brought to the Israelites that day. And none of them believed. And so then he realized he was the one that was going to have to act and let God do it through him. And God did, didn't he? God can do it while people watch. There are a lot of people in the world who are right now hatching plots, making sure, you know, I'll give you an example so you're familiar with the, a little bit, um, maybe more than you wish you were, with the tragedy that took, pl- took place um, with the gentleman who was faced with pressing the ground until he died. And there were quite a number of cell phone videos that were made, and so it was all recorded, and all the world reacted, and it still reacts, still going on because of it. The first time I saw that video, the first thing I said in my head was, Why are they videoing that? All the world has become watchers. Nobody wants to actually do, and if you're a Christian, I hope this is not true of you, but nobody actually wants to do something about what's going on. You take the bullet. You step in there. If that, if that crowd, we have crowds that rush police officers. In D.C., for example, there was a, what they're calling an insurrection order, whatever, and they pushed literally through lines of police officers, and they were crowds that appear, appeared to be unarmed or whatever in many cases, and they're not just going to fire into the crowd. So here's guys, and they're like, oh, we can't do anything because he's killing this guy in the street, and he's got a gun, and we can't do anything about it. And yet there were people standing around with their cell phones. And I had to ask myself, if I'm there, would I step in? Would I walk up? You keep your arms down to your side. All they can do is beat you with a club. That's the worst that could possibly happen, and you might die from it. But the alternative is there's people who stood there and watched that event. I wish I had never seen that event on video, let alone being there in person and allowing it to happen. The world has become watchers. Watchers. They're all watching. They're all standing on a hill, looking at the battlefield down below them, going, If I go down there and take a risk, if I do something, if I extend myself, then I will take the losses. But if we stand here and let the others duke it out, let somebody else figure it out, let it always be somebody else's problem, then nobody's actually getting hurt. For 40 days so far, nobody's actually getting hurt. We're all right. We're all camping in the country. There may not even actually be a battle. We start to think that there won't even be a conflict if we just let it all go. The world has become watchers. And God can do it in the presence of watchers. God can do it in the plain view. And if you will step up, God can do it through you. And God can do it, hang on, without you. If you won't do it, if you won't allow God to work through you, then God will do it without you. In the presence of you while you watch. Not doing what it is that you were called to do. God can do it and He can do it through those who trust Him, and He can do it right while people watch. And He can do it with less. He doesn't need big weapons or swords or cars or money. He can do it with less. He can do something that will make you go, wow, I can't believe that, with less. God made the universe, the Latin word is ex nihilio, nothing at all existed and then God made the universe out of nothing. God can do more than you can even imagine with less than what you have. And yet, we are so concerned about getting more, being more prepared, having better. Like Saul, huh, put my, at least put my armor on. Come on, at least gear yourself up for this. Let's work hard, you know, get ready, whatever. There's no more training you can do, you can't grow up before this battle that you're going to fight today but at least you can prepare yourself put my armor on and David was like I can't wear this armor that's too heavy and, it's, and I'm not used to it and I, it'll just make it more difficult not better and that's what all the more that you're trying to get before you do what it is that God is trying to do through you is actually going to do to you let me say that again that's what all the more that you're trying to get before you actually do what God is trying to do through you all that more that you're trying to get this is what it's going to do to you It's going to make you less able to do what it is that God is trying to do through you. In fact, it may make you immobile, and you may become a watcher. And there's a lot of folks in the world who are trying to collect a lot of things, and while they're collecting, they're watching others who are collecting things. When I was a sophomore in high school, I had a creative writing class and we did a bunch of observation activities. We were supposed to write poems, and use words to represent things, very symbolic language, all that kind of thing, and we were supposed to write stories. And, and so we would watch people. I learned at that time that you can kn- know a lot about a person by watching them. But if all you do is watch, then you become something less than a person yourself. You can't watch tragedy and not be affected by it. You can't watch problems and not step up to make a difference. You can't watch pain. If you can watch pain, for those of you who watch uh, action movies and stuff like that, you see a lot of people get shot in the head, get their limbs broken off, get hacked and chopped, stuff like that. If you can watch all that stuff and it doesn't affect you emotionally, you've got a problem. You better figure out what that problem is. They're just faking it. Yeah, it's not real. They're just faking it. Yeah, it's not real. They're just faking it but it looks real enough, it ought to elicit some emotion in you. God can do it even after He has been shamed. God isn't done yet. This world is walking away from the Lord, but God can still do it. God is still saving souls, transforming lives completely, making people born again. People are actually still getting on fire for God, stepping up and doing it. Now, the percentages may be smaller than we would like them to be, but the bottom line is God is still recreating humanity into His own image after the fall. Doesn't matter what they say. Doesn't matter what social media says or TV or whatever. Doesn't matter. God can still do it after He's been shamed. This one you won't like, but it's true. God can do it without grace. You say, no, 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 God always has to have grace. No, God is gracious. God is gracious. But all throughout the Old and New Testament, you find God doing things without grace. Grace. After Goliath was slain, or after he took the shot to the head, whether he was dead in that instant, it seems to say that he was, but then it seems to say he was killed a second later by the sword. Whether whichever his actual death was, there was no grace. You taunt me for forty days; you die like a pig in the dirt. This is God. And then the Philistines who had stood back there and went, <laughs> yeah, they got nobody can touch our Goliath. For 40 days they ran, terrified and they were cut down as they ran and occasionally they would stop in little skirmishes and stand up for a moment and then be run over by the steamroller army that had become the encouraged grasshoppers of the Israels, of the Israelites. And they cut them down and they left them laying in the mud for dozens of miles. God can do it without grace. The fact is, God does not have to be gracious towards you. God does not have to give you another chance. He will because He loves you, but He doesn't have to. His son died on the cross to pay for sins, and that alone would be enough. But because out of His infinite love and the infinite character of our God, He often acts with grace toward us. But listen, He can do it without grace if He chooses to. And that means... You'd better let God do it through you. Because there may come a moment in time at which you say, No, God, I'm not going to let you do it through me. And God will say, Okay, then, we're done. God can do it once. Has there ever been another story exactly like David and Goliath? Has there ever been an over nine foot man killed by a young man ever in the Bible or in history? Hmm. Not exactly. The details are pretty specific. There are some really neat fights and some incredible things that happen, right? There are stories, even outside the Bible, of incredible things that happened. But some things are pretty unique and God can do it just one time. God can save your soul just one time. And you only need it one time. And you begin to be born again. You begin to be transformed and living for the Lord. And you just need it one time. But also notice that God can do it again and again. God destroyed the armies that inhabited the land. The Philistines came and settled. God destroyed the armies of the Philistines. God can do it again and again. So the truth of this story is not about David. It's not about Goliath. It's not about the army of the Philistines or the army of the Israelites, and it's not about Saul, is it? The truth of this story is really about God. Who is the new character in the story of the David and Goliath that is introduced to the players? Saul believes in God. He's just sinned against God willingly. The Israelites believe in God. They've just become like grasshoppers in their own eyes, and they don't trust that God can do it through them. Anymore. Maybe ever. The army of the Philistines, they've heard of the God of Israel. And the stories go long and far back to the point where God did an amazing act and brought them out of Egypt by crossing the Red Sea. And when they did so, everyone in the land feared the Israelites while the Israelites continued to take over the land. Who's the new character in the story of David and Goliath? we come to our conclusion. What are we supposed to do about this story? I submit to you that we are to be foolish for faith. Now, not truly foolish, right? Not to lack wisdom, not to lack bi- biblical wisdom, but to be foolish in the eyes of the world. The Israelite army watched a young man with really just about nothing. Now, a sling is something. Let's, let's be really realistic. The sling was the closest thing that they had to a 45 Colt in David's day, when that bullet would come off that sling or that stone, smooth stone would come off that sling, it came off fast. And if it hit accurately, it would literally break bones. When it hit Goliath's skull, it sank into his skull. It penetrated the bone of that man's skull and put him down. This is not a small thing. Although using it with that kind of accuracy is not a small thing either. And, don't forget, he's wearing a helmet. And, don't forget, he's got a shield-bearer. And so, if David had not acted decisively and charged forward and attacked quickly with the sling, I submit to you that even David thought, well, you know, I'm good, but I I might need a second shot. He took five stones, not one. And he let fly that sling, stone, stone, And killed that man because he was too foolish not to try. He was too foolish to just go back to the sheep. Or to wait. Or to tremble, which would have been a reasonable action like all the rest of the Israelites did. We're to be a little bit foolish in our faith. And Jesus says, unless you come into the kingdom as a little child, you won't see the kingdom at all or you won't enter the kingdom at all, depending on which translation you read. And I was thinking a little bit about what it means to be as a child in this case. And I've heard people say, have faith like a child. And that's a poor translation. That, isn't, that really isn't what it says. Children believe things because they have a reason. It's their own reason sometimes. It doesn't reason that it makes sense to a lot of other people, but they believe things because they have a reason. Children ask questions. Mommy, Daddy, why does it work this way? And so if you're comfortable not asking questions and you're comfortable not trusting, then you could get stuck in a place of not trusting and not asking and you become a watcher. Do you believe? Do you believe that God can do it? Do you believe that God can do it through those who trust him? Do you believe that God can do it while people watch? Do you believe that God can do it with less? Do you believe that God can do it after he has been shamed? Do you believe that God can do it without grace if he chooses to? Do you believe that God can do it once? Do you believe that God can do it again and again? Learn to take risks, to take losses if necessary, as God sees fit. That's what it means to believe. And until you do that, you will not see the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. Now, that's not saying you won't go to heaven. If you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you're following him to the best of your ability... According to the Bible, you will go to heaven. When the time comes, you will die, and you will immediately be translated into heaven. I get that. But if you want to see the effect of God here on the earth, you want to see the kingdom of God advancing, you want to have God reigning in you and in your family and in your finances and whatever on the earth, you must take risks in the Lord. You must take losses, if necessary, in the Lord. You must proceed forward in what looks like a foolish, childish faith. Do you believe the new character in the story of David and Goliath is me. It's you. It's you when you trust God the way David trusted God to make a way. It's you when you trust God who sent His own Son to die on the cross. And you say, okay, well if He died for me, then I essentially died. And if I died, I have a new life to live now. And if I have a new life to live now, how am I going to live it? And the answer is, I'm going to live it for God. I'm going to live it like this. I believe God can do it. I believe God can do it through me. I believe that God can do it while people watch. I believe that God can do it with less. He can do it after He has been shamed. He can do it without grace if He chooses to. He can do it once. And He can do it again and again and again and again. again and again. I believe that God can do it right now. If there's somebody in this room who has not fully submitted their life to Jesus Christ as Lord, that means he tells you what to do. And as Savior, that means he paid the price for your sins. Then if you would do that right now in your heart, God will do it again today through you. And you will be new. And you will be the new character in the story of David and Goliath. And when the next Goliath comes that makes you feel like a grasshopper in your own eyes, you will realize it is not about if you are strong. It is not about if you are tall. It is not about if you are wise. It is not about if you are trained. It is not about if you have the proper weaponry or finances or resources. It is simply about will you trust God? And then in trusting God, God can do it through you. Oh, I don't know. Maybe you've never had that problem. You never faced a problem that was big enough that you didn't know what to do about it. Well, I'm guessing probably everybody has. The army of the Israelites in battle array with armor and swords, with resources, standing on a mountaintop in a good militaristic position. They were as grasshoppers. In their own eyes, when they looked down at that single man Goliath and the challenge that he would issue before God, I don't know, maybe the thing that scared them the most is that he would issue it before God and God would not immediately strike him dead in the open field. And I submit to you, that is what God did. He sent a young man who was just courageous enough to believe that God can do it. And he did it through David. It could have been a lightning strike and people would have claimed it as random. It could have been a bowel disease and Goliath would have died in the field or a heart attack or whatever. And people would have said, ah, it's just bad timing. But when it's a young man with less weaponry and less training and just two characteristics to his credit, he believed that God could do it. And he believed that because we believe God can do it, we should be courageous. And he went out courageously to face Goliath of Gath and put a stone in his forehead and cut his head off with his own sword. And then when he walked into the presence of the king of Israel, he was holding the head of Goliath. How about you? Have you faced that difficulty before that you didn't know what to do with it? Did you feel like a grasshopper in your own eyes? Did you respond in faith and courage? If not, repent today because God is still able to do it. Have you faced something like that and you did succeed and you're like, God did it. I'm amazed. I was blown away by how awesome God was and he took care of it and I'm so glad. Then you should be a person today living in faith and courage because if he can do it once with a bear or a lion, he can do it with a nine foot tall warrior and it doesn't matter what you face. Just trust God. And then you become the new character in the story of David and Goliath. And then your next problem when it comes will look a little smaller. Or even if it looks really, really big, you will trust. I have one last question to just throw at you real quick for for your thought, and then I'm going to answer it myself in the interest of time. What if God had not saved David that day? What if God had not empowered David to sling the sling at that speed, at that accuracy, or whatever? What if God had not done that? What if David had died right there? Well, let's see. In the case of the Israelites, they probably would have just been, their hopes dashed, further terrified. They would have looked like grasshoppers in their own eyes. That's where they were at. They would not have been off, any worse off than before, really, because they already looked like grasshoppers. So it didn't to affect them at all. In the case of Saul, he already been deposed as king. He's losing his kingship. He's on the way out got an evil spirit sent by the God of the universe, which is not grace, by the way. That is not grace. Sent by the God of the universe to deal with him because of his disobedience and his disrespect to God. So the really the only person that would really be, the people that would really be affected there would be um, Goliath, who'd still be alive, and David, who'd be dead. And I think of our friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were three young men from uh, the. Jews, basically, who were taken off into captivity, and they said this, they said, our God is able to throw, save us from this fiery furnace that you toss us into, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow to your false gods. Where is that faith and courage? You know, we better have it. We better find it. We better ask for it from God and let him give it. Because what we look like to the world when we don't do that is just everybody else. Just watchers think that they are grasshoppers. I know, grasshopper. I want to be courageous. And I'm asking you to join me today. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do that now and say, okay, I'm willing to live for God. And if you have done that and you realize you've not been trusting in Him to do through you that which He wants to do, then you repent today and turn your life over to God again. And then you take those next courageous steps, whatever they are, and let God work through you. i ask the praise team to come forward at this time. And we'll have a song of praise, and this will be closing out our our worship today. But this might be you deciding to be the new character in the story of David and Goliath, responding with faith and courage to whatever you are facing. Let us be courageous. Let us let God do amazingly through us. If you're comfortable and able to do so, would you stand where you are, And then as we sing this song, if God God has somehow spoken into your heart, then you respond. You might be responding. I need to be baptized. Or I need to serve the Lord in this way. Or I need to join this church. Or I need to give my life to Jesus for the first time ever in earnest. Whatever it might be, if you're responding, you come.
2: I have this.
0: calling you to himself for the first time or to a commitment to do something that you know you're supposed to do. Um, then you just continue to listen to him and uh, and then we'll give you a chance to se- speak in a second. Then we have our closing prayer, a brief, uh, we do have a brief break, and then a membership meeting, which uh, will not take long at all, but we're going to do that today. Okay, so that's what we've got left on our agenda. Miss Chris, would you stand before us and share with us what's in your I can't stand anymore. So Okay, so she's going to just I'm listen sure. to what she's got to say.
1: So the lyrics to the song that... Amalia and Alicia sang earlier, the lights go out all around me, one last candle to keep out the night, and then the darkness surrounds me. I know I'm alive, but I feel like I've died. Um, Some of you know, some of you may not know. Um, I suffer from bipolar. I get very beyond depressed at times. That I feel like I've died. I've actually tried to actually be dead, <laughs> not just die. And then the next line is, and all that's left is to accept that it's over. My dreams ran like sand through the fist that I made. I try to keep warm, but I just grow colder. I feel like I'm slipping away. And, that, and that's how you feel when you're that depressed. You just feel like everything is just slipping away. It can't hold on to anything. After all this has passed, I still remain. After I've cried my last, there'll be beauty from pain. After I have tried, and it's been five, six times, I'll admit it, that I've tried to take my own life, and then I'm still here, it's like, what do I gotta do? You know, what, why am I still here? Now, some of you know, some of you don't know, when Scott Hamp committed suicide, I was so angry because he was successful and I wasn't. And uh, then it says, though it won't be today, someday I'll hope again. And there will be beauty from pain. You will bring beauty from my pain. My whole world is the pain inside me. The best I can do is just get through the day. When life before is only a memory, I wonder why God lets me walk through this place. I'll let you know, I wonder it every day. Why does they let me live with this pain? Why do I, you know, why do I have to go through this? And uh, let me tell you, this last year, being so isolated, I have to say I'm very proud of myself, because I fought it so hard this last year. Um, but because of the past, um, some of you know, some of you don't know, I was in a hospital not long ago, I was on the psych ward. I took too much of a sleeping medication and it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, I had a very bad reaction and don't even know what I did on it. And thank God for Sherry, Pastor Dan, <laughs> um, Toledo please, <police>, Fire Rescue. <laughs> It was, it was a mess. And I don't even remember most of it. Um, but that wasn't a suicide test. <laughs> that was just me not getting enough sleep. Um, but I just want to say that this last year, I have held on to God, even though I can't see him, even though I couldn't feel him. I held on to him. And I've made it through. And that's me not being a grasshopper anymore. I was almost a cricket but <laughs> grasshopper anymore. And I just want you all to know that if you can just hold on and push through, you can do it too. No matter what you're going through, I you know, everybody goes through stuff and it's hard. And you just want to give up. And During this last year, every morning, the first thing I'd say every morning is, God, why can't today just be the day you take me? And then I'd wait there for a few more minutes and be like, okay, you didn't take me, what do I got to do today? (laughs) And one of the things that's got me through is actually speaking to people. Um, I work the phones for the Life Station. And talking to these people, and I have made friends on the phone I have never met and probably will never meet. But by talking to them on the phone and helping them with their problems and where they're at, it's helped me to see that, you know, I can get through this. So I just wanted to put that
0: out there. And, um, and you've also helped a ton of people in doing that too. and so. We've heard a number of stories where your encouragement has really made a difference. Which means, if you had been successful in taking your life, we would have missed that. And that would have been terrible. That would have been a huge failure. So we're grateful that that's not the case. And uh, I think that's a strong testimony. you living for the Lord. And sometimes we do. Somebody said it earlier. Uh, You've got to come to the end of yourself to really trust God the way we're supposed to. And... Um, I guess if we'd been there and seen Jesus on the cross, that would definitely be an image stuck in our head that would change that. Is there anyone else who'd like to say a word before we close? God loves you. God can do it. Do not uh, push back or resist. Allow Him to work through you. Okay, so we're going to close in prayer at this time, and then we have a few minutes break, and then we'll come back in this room for membership meetings. So our membership meeting for all Members and regular tenders and people like that who just want to know what's going on and in the initiatives of the church and that kind of thing. Uh, it, we have the opportunity to make motions. As far as I know, there are a couple of motions, but nothing, too, you know, nothing dense or really difficult to work through or anything like that. So we should be um, done pretty quickly. Unless you're bringing trouble, because I ain't got no trouble. <laughs> so, but we're going to take care of that. So let's pray together, and then we will uh, take that short break. As I pray, I'm going to mention in my, my wife in my prayer, she's dealing with a problem we think is with her neck, and, and that's why she's got her arm on pillows, because she has pain in her arm since uh, uh, really since Monday. And so uh, I'll be mentioning that. But I didn't want you to hear me pray for her and not know what it was about. Okay, so let's pray together. Father in heaven, we know that you, uh, you were there that day. You were fully present when David charged out quickly against that giant Philistine from Gath. You're with us even now. You're calling us out, empowering us, strengthening us, equipping us. We can look at our equipment and think, well, we have less than what is needed to accomplish the job. But we are reminded in no small way by this text that just breath, that would be enough. Just submission to you and allowing you to do what you want to do. That would be enough. Just letting you work through us. God, we are grateful. And we are grateful that when we get it in our mind to do something stupid, something hurtful, something that doesn't advance your kingdom, you resist us. It's hard for us to be grateful that you resist us because we don't want to be resisted. We want to be free. We want to be able to do whatever we want to do even when what we want to do isn't what's good. But we're grateful to know that you resist our course of action when our course of action is bad for us. That's what it means when it says we were once objects of wrath because it used to be every day we got out of bed and our course of action was bad for us and you resisted us every day. And that would have put us in hell. But because of Jesus and the great sacrifice there, our screw-ups now, our mistakes now, our errors, they are forgiven assuming that we allow it. And I ask you Lord to bless Miss Chris and others like her who have found strength to help others. Strength to overcome their barriers and to care about the lostness and the aching and the hunger and the health concerns and the list just goes on of other people. And we feel like we can't even fix our own problems. What, do we, what business do we have working on others? But the truth is that when we're busy working on other problems, our problems at least seem much smaller and sometimes just go away. And we praise you for that. We praise you for our church. We praise you for your word. We praise you for being at work in us. We do ask healing uh, for my wife, for Sherry, um, for our sister. Um, Don't know exactly what the problem is, but x-rays show degenerative disc disease and bone spurs, and, and that may be it. And so through physical therapy and whatever, Lord, uh, we just pray that you will intervene. Uh, if you would intervene even now in a miraculous way and make half of that not necessary, uh, we just give you all the praise. And if you want her to go through physical therapy and, and like that, we give you all the praise just the same. We praise you for the babies in our midst. We praise you for the difficulties that we're facing. We praise you for the strength to persevere. That we could be good that we could be your people, even when the world decides that we're no good. But we could be good, and we could be your people, reaching new heights in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. About three to five minutes or so, and then we'll regather, reconvene, or convene, actually, in this room. Just a few minutes. kind of facing in a weird position. Could you even see me when I was preaching? Yeah. I
1: oh. think uh, I'm in there. not sure. Yeah, you're <laughs> right. It got <laughs> shut down. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh. I mean, mm-hmm. they, um, to Tommy wants you know. me to drive him home. He's like, it's power. Okay. Unless Josh wants
2: to do
5: it. I um, uh, not feeling good
4: at all, <laughs> she. got the second dose of that vaccine, and kid. <laughs> <laughs> can tell
5: me I about that. <laughs> That's why he's going He could no, drive back his car, and I'm like,
1: i go no. home and take a little nap. Huh? go home then, take a little nap, huh?
2: huh? huh? and eat. Huh? 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 Well, I'm going home to eat. For oh. yeah. or eat take a nap or whatever, and then go. Huh? Or take a nap whatever huh? or a nap whatever, she so may not get any calls. Whoa! <laughs> <Well,
4: laughs> <forgot> out.
0: <laughs> 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 Yeah. I, 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 I'm didn't drive. know what I was going to do. on the car for a while. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> I had to They're not No. Jason
3: is. It was making my own Jason is. call.
4: call.
3: Jason is.
2: You stopped having
1: it. I heard you the first five times (laughs) you said it. Unlike you, I actually listen. That's highly debatable. We're gonna leave that alone. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: But the words of the song in here To like the tune of the morning. And we change it to
3: every morning, Mass Sunday Because we don't only worship on Sunday morning. <laughs> membership.
6: Yeah, yeah. Yes, ma'am. Okay, sure. So you're so first uh,
1: first uh, uh, so playing Can you play with that? Well, I want
2: right. just go until your daddy's ready we're we're
3: this is how we Thank you, God, Thank Thank you.
2: It's This is Thank you, God. Thank you, Thank you, Thank Thank you, God. I want to play feels. This is This it feels. This is how it feels. This to how how it How you
3: yeah, um, um,
2: uh, <laughs> Yes. If it's yes. okay, it's okay. So I can hold on to Tyler. I'm going to verify that works. I'm going to that I thought you was not. Switch my car. I got six. You okay. already have both the car seats, right? Okay? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, just okay. switch okay. Um. not
0: um. No, it's not Well, somebody needs to fix that then.
3: <laughs>
2: Maybe I can fix it this afternoon.